0: Alright, hello and welcome to episode number 26 of Long Ball Football, a weekly podcast by two English brothers about all things football in Portugal. You're listening to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother, Barney. How are you doing, Barney? How's your week been? Yeah, good. Um, the weather's picking
1: up, isn't it? It's getting a bit sunny and it's I like it because finally... The weather seems to match um, the weather over in Portugal when you're watching the games. I over-,
0: <laughs> over winter, I was getting so jealous, man. When like, I oh, don't honestly. Sometimes you're watching them games on the on the winter evenings. There's a beautiful sunset. I'm thinking about Paso Stadium seems to really show off the sunset. It makes me so jealous. Oh, yeah, but I'm good, man. How are you? Very good, man. Very good. We're getting very close to five or so football being back in England and I'm getting really excited. A couple of weekends away now. It's going to be big, so looking forward to that.
1: I'm getting nervous. I,
0: I haven't played for
1: ages, man.
0: <laughs> Everybody's going to be awful, but at least we're <laughs> all in the same boat, right? Another good week in the uh, Premier League as well, of course. Uh, we'll be talking about all the games in a second, but first we're going to touch on the news of the week. Not much news to talk about. This week, But of course, the most important thing was that the Champions League quarterfinal draw was made. It was what we've all been waiting for to see who Porto would be drawn in the quarterfinals. And the result was Chelsea. There were some tough potential draws that they could have got. For me, Chelsea wasn't the worst of the bunch. What do you think, Barney? I think it's the
1: best, man. I think it's the the best they could have hoped for.
0: For me, I, I definitely think Chelsea are one of the lesser
1: teams left in this competition. I mean Thomas Tuchel, is, you know, he's what are they fourteen games unbeaten. So they're gonna be solid, but they're they're not quite they're not quite free scoring, are they at the moment? Um you know, I mentioned last week about the loss of Sergio Olivier for the suspensions, same with Toremi for the first leg. That's mm. quite worrying. But um mm. the fact that they're home, I think for the first leg I think it's good because then they'll be back for the away game where the goals will really matter what do you see I see him getting
0: 0-0 at home and maybe getting a score draw away what do you think? you've been reading my notes Barney you've been reading <laughs> my notes. I, yeah I've got exactly the same thing no I think it's, t- it's totally spot on there um, there were as I said some real tough potential draws and coming against Chelsea it's funny because I thought I thought a couple of the English teams left would have been good draws, Chelsea or Liverpool. Chelsea, it could work, though. You're right, they've been so solid. They really don't concede any goals, but they don't score a lot either. I think the way the draw is laid out as well uh, over two legs could suit Porto at home. For me, the game plan has to be just don't concede. You know, Even if it's nil-nil coming out of that first leg, just don't concede, don't give up that away goal because when they go into the second leg... When the tension is slightly higher, when the pressure is slightly more, maybe Chelsea will be forced to uh, open up a bit when the game might be more open. They might be able to nick an away goal. That's going to be so valuable. For me, this whole over the two legs, Porto's whole game plan has to be about getting themselves into as good a position as they can to uh, try and win the game, either right at the end of normal time, in extra time or even on penalties. You know, that's got to be their game plan for me.
1: even the same, looking ahead to the semi-finals as well if we we dare to dream I mean Real Madrid and Liverpool I think they're both good draws as well in a way I mean I think a performance similar to what they did at Juventus against those two teams I think could work really really well with those
0: sort of tactics I mean we've seen them play so well defensively a number of times in the Champions League I always go back to Man City in the group stage where they managed to get uh, a draw against probably the best team in Europe at the moment so uh, we know that they can do it again another thing I've said a few times in this podcast but if there's one man that I trust to set Porto up for these two games it's Sergio Concesal he's been questionable in the league a few times but he's shown that in the Champions League he knows what he's doing he knows how to set them up to get the result that they need so they were underdogs against Juventus Uh, they're underdogs again against Chelsea but uh, they managed to get past Juventus so it's definitely not beyond the realms of possibility that they'll beat Chelsea in this round it will be a different a very different game however because Juventus at the time were a bit of a basket case you know they were there would have been nerves in that team. There was high pressure on that team, whereas Chelsea, they seem to be quite a calm presence, very assured at the back. And and that in itself means there may be less for Porto to exploit. And of course, we have to wait a few weeks uh, until we get to watch that game. That game is on the 7th of April with the second leg the following week. So a few weeks to wait, but it'll be worth it, I'm sure. (laughs) Well, let's crack straight on and get into some of the Liga Rush games from the last weekend and where else to start but the main game of the weekend. That was Benfica versus Braga. A good 2-0 win for Benfica against one of the teams that we've praised most in the league this season. And Benfica on a good bit of form, Barney, I think. Four consecutive wins in the league so far. Five consecutive clean sheets in the league. Uh, and it's a win that takes them above Braga into third place. Jorge Jesus has made some big calls in the lineup recently as well, which has been significant for me. Five at the back in this game but for Verissimo, Tongan and Otamendi in central defence, with Grimaldo and Salves as wing-backs. That's a position that I think suits both those players. Darwin dropped to the bench. That's quite a big call. Schmidt, of course, recalled to the starting lineup, And JJ seems to have settled on a midfield juror of Weigel and terupt. All of this, Barney, I'm getting at is, do you think Benfica's team is finally settling down and coming together? Oh, definitely, yeah.
1: And I think... I mean, you mentioned going three at the back in this game. I thought that was interesting because we've only really seen them do that in the Europa League. And it was almost as if they were showing Braga quite a lot of respect. And, you know, that's all credit to Braga. They've been, they've been great this season. But yeah, once again, I think JJ got it right. I think I wanted to talk about Saferi because there's seven goals in his last six games now. And mm. when we've been criticising Ben Viga practically the whole season, man, what we've been saying is they need to finish their chances, take their chances. And he is he looks like the man to do it doesn't he i don't think i think darwin's going to struggle to get back in the team just because i think this partnership with walshmit that we've seen the last couple of
0: games seems to be the better combination i don't know what you think about that yeah totally agree i don't think i don't think we can see that darwin and sferrich partnership up front again this season it just didn't work full stop it's funny because you see a lot of uh, benfica fans criticizing sferrich for not being consistent enough like not Taking all of the chances that he gets. But surely this season just disproves all of that because, one, he's the second most top scorer in the league despite only starting the last five or six games. As you say, seven goals in six games. What's not consistent about that? And even if he doesn't put away every chance that he gets, who cares? He puts away enough, right? He gets the goals that they need and he's winning them uh, the games in this recent patch of form. I think Walshman as well, I said it a couple of weeks ago, I think he's going to be a really important player to get back into that squad. It's funny with the Euro under-21s coming up, I was watching some highlights of when he played for Germany in the Euro under-21s and he looked like such a good player. Let's not forget that he's young as well. You know, this is a guy who came through Germany the youth system. They've got high hopes for him and he's got great potential. I think he's going to be so important.
1: I also think in this game, you know, we we had a little joke about Rafa getting picked for the national team last year, but mm. like this performance, you know, it almost justifies it. Like you you do forget he's, I think he had five successful dribbles in this game, like a decent assist um, for Severic and obviously his goal. But no, he he's looked brilliant and obviously their attacks improved, they're getting more goals in games. You know, um, I went on a little bit earlier in the season about they have consistently had one of the highest expected goals in the league, which... Doesn't make sense for some of the performance, but what it did imply is that when they do get clicking and it does come together, like and they start finishing their charges, they're gonna they're gonna just run and run and run. But then also, you know, the other half, like you said, Firmino coming into this back line seems to have improved him defensively, which you know I had my doubts about, but you can't deny the, the impact he's had. And Diego Costa, so right back, who's another one in the defence who's come in and they're, they're looking improved with him in the team. So yeah, I mean, the pressure's on now for Braga, and it, that you know I feel like Benfica. Have, are looking good for this third spot
0: let's talk about braga though barney because not their best game not the best game i've ever watched from them i'm interested on your take on the red card whether you think it influenced the game because it would be easy to say that benfica won against 10 players but for me i thought braga would pour before the card we were texting him throughout this game and i was saying braga need to get in this fran sergio gets himself sent off i think it was messy from fran sergio two really unnecessary yellow cards uh, which doesn't do his team any favours. They had to play a third of the first half and all of the second half with 10 men. Strangely enough, I think Braga's best spell came immediately after the red card. I think they had a good chance to score, but it just didn't last. Benfica made them pay. I thought Benfica were already playing better and I think on the whole deserved to win the game. I would, And I would have battled to win the game even if Braga had 11 men on the pitch. Yeah, I'm inclined to
1: agree with you. I think um, they were looking the better team. I mean, I, I did think the ref... Completely misread the occasion, given you know both yellows for both those fouls. But then you know, like you said, they were silly um, fouls to make. The main thing I I was guided to Albert. I mean, I think it was almost as gutted as Alvarez himself was when he got taken off the pitch because I think Carlos Carval got that wrong, you know. I think he was starting to get into the game. I remember a particular run where he seemed to get past quite a few players and, you know, and he's he's a player who's been improving uh, the second half of the season, absolutely, and filling in the gap of, that Paulinho's left. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that was the right decision to take him off because, you know, he ends up bringing Sporer on later in the game, like, to bring a striker back onto the pitch. So, yeah, I don't think that was the right call.
0: Interesting one. He was guided when he came off and I'm not surprised. He's definitely, as you say, uh, a much improved player. Yeah, full credit to him. Let's look at the table as well, Barney. All teams played 24 games. As I said, that game sees Benfica leap for Braga by one point. Benfica on 51 points. Braga on 50 points. Porto only on 54 points. There's only a three-point gap between Benfica and Porto. It's incredible how these seasons change so quickly, right? A few weeks ago, we thought Benfica would have struggled to make... The top three, and now I'm looking at that table, thinking, you know, Benfica got outside chance for second at this rate. Whatever happens, those three teams in particular, it's very tight in that area.
1: Yeah, and I think this was a big game for Benfica. You know, Braga obviously going to be one of the harder opponents this season. They they look comfortable against them even the, the, before the te- they went down to ten men. So they got Porto and Sporting to still play in the running, and you know, if this form continues, if this their conference starts building because there was definitely a lack of confidence earlier in the season. If that keeps building, you know, those two games are going to be absolutely massive. You know, Benfica uh, ruining Sporting's unbeaten season could could be on the cards. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: with 10 games left to play, there's still some fantastic fixtures coming up, including those two derbies. Right, but well, let's talk about Sporting versus Vittoria Gimaraish, a game that ended 1-0 uh, and a game that, of course, Keep sporting at the top of the table by 10 points. Exactly the result they would have needed. Only 1-0 in the end. But for me, could have been a couple more. Thiago Thomas had a goal ruled out. Uh, but the young centre-back, Inacio, with a great header, got them the goal that they needed in the end. And it's a really important result for them.
1: It was quite a couple of changes to the sporting lineup, wasn't there? Which I was interested to see how that would play out. And, you know, Kratos has been suspended as the big one there. And I liked how um, Amor put Inacio in the middle. You know, he'd been playing on the right of the free mania. But Lewis Neto went back out there and he started it nicely and uh, even ended up doing the quietest thing of uh, getting the winner in a slightly tight game. At the moment, I, after every sport game, I'm leaning towards them losing or dropping points just because you know this run is so ridiculous. And then, <laughs> and when I saw Victoria's lineup with you know with Edwards in, Rashinia and Ruben Lemire starting, I got I was getting excited at the beginning of this game, but um, then I remember Zhao Henriks is trying to turn Ruben Lima into a left wing back for some bizarre <laughs> reason. And so then, <laughs> uh, you know. I knew what the, the result was going to be the end. But yeah, I think the main thing, my main takeaway from this was the the players that came in for Sporting really stepping up and uh, putting in some good performances.
0: I think it was all about the the young players this game for me. As you rightly pointed out, Inacio, excellent defensively. Again, he's looking like a real prospect at centre-back. Really nice range of passing as well. Obviously, at the moment, he's playing in the back three, so he's getting a lot of protection. But for a young kid, uh, he looks brilliant. Obviously, one of the main players that came in that I think a lot of Sporting fans have... Really been calling for was Daniel Braganza, the young playmaker. Uh, and I think he really made a good claim for staying in that starting lineup. It's one of the first times I've really focused on watching him because I know he's been such a highly rated player amongst sporting fans. Uh, and he was a joy to watch, honestly. Really lovely player to watch. Looks ready to step up and take on influence in that team, which I think is really nice to see. It's important to remember about Daniel Braganza for me, Barney, is that he's 21, you know, so he's not 18. this is not a young kid so I think at that age he'll really be looking to start making an impression on the side and it was really encouraging to see that he was ready to take on some of the responsibility in that midfield it was the best first half I've seen from sporting in quite a few games and I think the fact that he was playing was not a coincidence
1: it just looks very comfortable doesn't he in that team
0: and I also liked what it did in terms of allowing Pedro Goncalves to
1: sort of basically play as a second striker alongside Thiago Thomas I think that um that worked really well in in the midfield, and Pedro Gonzalez hit the bar a couple of times, didn't he? So, yeah, really good first half
0: from Sporting. It definitely could have been more goals. It was. I was quite surprised that it was only one nil, but because it was a totally dominant performance. And I think we should talk about Vitória. Obviously, we gave them pretty hard hard go of it last week. We were very critical of them and and the way they've been playing. I think for me, the saddest part of this game, from a Vitória perspective, was that at no point did I ever think that they were going to get anything from this game. Not before the game and at no point during the game was I under any illusion that they were uh, that they were going to win or they were even going to get a point out of this. I think it's a really disappointing time for them. I just think their form is is rock bottom. You know, I think we've praised them, some of their attacking players. I think, you know, Marcus Edwards got on the board a few times and looked okay, but Sporting's defence were too good for him. Moshinho, who uh, I praised a lot last week, he seemed like he was putting in a lot of effort and actually most of his effort was going in defensively which pretty much showed the level of Vitoria's performance in the game very disappointing not the right game for them coming off the back of a very disappointing run of form it was going to be very difficult for them to get anything out of the game and get that momentum going into the international break though of course for them Barney so you know maybe some minutes on the training ground working with the team will will be good for them
1: like you mentioned we talked about them in great depth last week but to expand a bit more like the best thing going for that squad is their attack and so it's, it was disappointing that they didn't really go for it. You know what I mean? Like i mentioned Ruma Lemires had been playing, playing the uh, left wing back when, you know, if they'd been maybe gone with Edward Rashina, Ruben Lemires just behind the striker, stuben at top, you know, that could have been you know, really take the game to the sporting, just try and score a goal or two, you know, but it's just so negative. And it was, it was like you said, there was, they just before the game didn't even think they were going to get anything from this.
0: Uh, I do want to ask you a question though, Barney, because I want to ask what you think about Ricardo Koreshma because I was thinking about him during this game. He's obviously not been in the team recently. He's not been playing. And I'm not quite sure what I make of him. At times, I think maybe he's a bit of a luxury player and maybe trying to build a team around him is hindering rather than benefiting them. And then sometimes I just think, this guy's clearly your most technically gifted player. You have to be getting him on the pitch, uh, making things work. I just can't work out what I would do with him because they've got this you know, legendary player on their books, someone who can still offer so much, even at 37, 38 years of age, whatever he is these days. And he's not really playing at the moment and I'm just not sure what they should be doing with him right now. Yeah, I wonder if just simply the
1: fact that if he was to play on that right-hand side, you know, up against Nuno Mendes, whether he'd been, would have been expected to sort of try and track him and if that was too much for him at his age, you know, whether that was the decision. But then, you, like, Kresma hasn't got long left. And if you've committed to getting them into the club, you know, you've got to be using using them while you still can, you know, he's, he's, he's not got long left.
0: Yeah, definitely a bit of a conundrum for that Victoria team at the moment. One of many, unfortunately. But there was one positive from a Victoria perspective in this game, Barney, and that was the young defender, Andre Amara, who came in playing on the right side of the defence. I thought he had a very good game, looked pretty solid defensively, a very positive defensive debut from a young man, only 18 years old. So, yeah, that was a positive. And I guess we should talk about
1: the sporting youngster who got on at the end of the game, uh, Darius suga How old is this guy? <laughs> I think you know the exact age.
0: So the commentary team informed us that he was 16 years old when he came on, which was impressive enough. Uh, until I also found out on Twitter later after the game that he's not just 16 he was 16 years and 6 days old when Sporting were playing their previous game in the league he was only 15 years old he signed his first professional contract at the club earlier in the week uh, and it was just wonderful scenes I mean when he left the field he was he was in tears he was so emotional and what an incredible moment for a young player you know I mean I
1: think this, the the call-up cool was perhaps a reaction to Mateus Nunes getting coming down with COVID. You know, they needed a an extra body in midfield. This just highlights how how light the Sporting squad is, you know, and how impressive what they have achieved this season is. The fact that they've got brought promoted so many youngsters, you know, in, in a. In a year of COVID where people are out all the time. I, I mean I guess you could say they've been quite fortunate. I feel like they haven't had many big injuries. Yeah. I mean Amor is trusted in youth. You just I don't think other managers would be giving these players opportunities, you know, you know, filled for the full nineteen rather than give this 16-year-old kid a chance. So yeah, credit to Amarin. It's just it's I love it. And I wonder if we should invest in the shirt
0: early doors now, get it in. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Well, let's move on to Porto versus Porto Menens, Barney. Ended 2 1 to Porto, and this was a really, really decent game in the end. Not so much in terms of tons of good opportunities created, but it was a real battle between the two teams, which even spilled over to the managers, which I think you're going to touch on in uh, a second. And Porto Menens gave Porto a real test for me. They weren't a million miles away from getting a point out of this game.
1: No, they really weren't. And I think
0: you look at Porto's, both their
1: goals, you know, they're a little fortunate. Sergio Olivier sort of involved in both of them. I mean, I wanted to focus on Sergio Oliveira just a little bit more. I know we talk about him a lot, but here's the epitome: someone who puts the work in to get where they are, isn't he? And you hear a lot with old players where they say they've played with youngsters in the youth team where they had an abundance of natural talent, but they didn't have, didn't put the work effort in and didn't make it. And I don't mean this in a negative way, but I don't think Sergio Oliveira has that natural talent. I mean, he's just worked and worked and worked. And, all his best attributes as stuff he's improved himself by putting the hard yards in. You know, his stamina, his work weight, the free kicks and set pieces, everything he's been practising. You know, he was alone in Greece a few seasons ago, and now he's captaining Porto, performing in the Champions League. I like how he's a very calm captain as well. I mean, we saw it when he was trying to talk Concello down from the, the fight with um, uh,
0: Paulo Sergio, which was... You just want to explain that fight, Barney.
1: Well, OK, yeah. So there was a bit of back and forth during the game I, I presume and then when Porto's um, second goal went in Sergio Conchitao just turns to Paulo Sergio and just celebrates right in his not right in his face but towards him and, and uh, it, trying to goad the reaction and interesting this is Paulo Sergio's first time in his career he's been sent off as a manager which in Portugal is I think that's quite a feat it's um, great but, team <laughs> yeah it's a great team um, but honestly, man, when they were walking towards the tunnel, I honestly thought a fist fight was going to break out. Contra just looked like he was well up for it. And then it just over spilled and the players um, getting involved. Um, it was funny seeing a Chico Contra sort of on the edge of all the fight, just sort of looking in like a little kid. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I don't know how to feel about it. It was great it added to the derby in a way. The fact that Paolo has never been sent off just makes me feel that, you know, Contra just got under his skin and just... Oh.
0: It's a bit petty from Concesaro. I mean, if he's kicking off at the port of an ends manager, I mean, come on, this is a team that you should be brushing aside. But yeah, just to come back to what you were saying about Sergio Oliveira, because I thought that was a really good point and it's really important to highlight what an incredible job he's doing as a player. Uh, He's one of the few players in this league that gets called up to the Portugal squad semi-regularly he's captained Porto he's played so well in the Champions League at the highest level and you know to think that this is a guy who's had loans as you said out in Greece down at lower clubs in Portugal uh, it's a phenomenal achievement it's a real great story and I think he's a real good example for any of those young players coming through about the benefits of working hard uh, and endeavour to a team
1: I mean, from Portimonense's point of view, I mean, we've we've been sort of focusing on them a little bit recently, and they've they've been putting in some good performances, and they almost got through a couple of times in the break in this game. I thought there was um that's where the equaliser came on with uh Be- from Beto um, and Fali Kande bursting through, and Diego Leite made a brilliant buck on uh Beto, but the ball fell kindly of to Fali Kande. But if I was being really panicky but I, I thought Diego Leite was who had come on for Pepe, I think, come off a knock. They were just uh, not taking any chances with Pepe. But I thought he was lucky to stay on the pitch, in my opinion. There was the instance where he just sort of threw a leg backwards, lazily almost, to try and do some ridiculous touch. And it hit Denner, in the, caught Denner in the face. And then there was a point where a ball was put through uh, to Beto, and he would have been through on goal. And he, and, Diego uh, blocked it with his arm so perhaps Porto were a little fortunate there but I mean at the end of the day you could say Porto men's had the bad luck but sort of Porto made their own luck didn't they I guess
0: yeah no it, it, it was a deserved win in my opinion I thought yeah maybe a bit of rustiness from late I like him I'm a fan I think he's a good player I'd like to see him get a bit of a run of games but that's not up to me I thought Sanusi as well had a good game defensively I mm. thought which is important because we've seen that he's got a great pace and, and maybe he's one of those defenders who likes getting forward but Perhaps we've been critical of him defensively in the past so he had a good game. But yeah, uh, some good positives to take from the game for Porto. Professional performance, got the win that they needed and good result in the end. Well, we should touch on Paso Spani because they had a fantastic result at the weekend. 3-0, they beat Moroens and a very good Moroens side, I have to say. So uh, not a result to, to overlook. Back to the kind of form we expect from them. They had a couple of Dips. a loss against Porto you could probably understand but that 3-0 loss against Santa Clara still in relatively recent memory so it's really good for them to be getting back to the kind of form we expect to see from them
1: Yeah, it was, it was just devastating in the first half wasn't it? Um, absolutely blew Morin's away I thought Douglas tanked at his best um, Lufa Singh and Helder just, yeah and then, and then you got Bruno Costa behind oh, yeah, it was just a, a, a brilliant brilliant performance
0: Yeah, I think this Passos team reminds me in some ways of of the Leicester team that won the Premier League. I'm not saying Passos are going to win the Premier League, by the way, <laughs> I'm just saying in the same sense that with, with Leicester, it was all about the right players just falling into place and that team clicking. Mm. And I think it's a very similar thing with this Passos side. The right players, they've got in the right players. The team just clicks. It just works. And when it works, it works really well. Uh, it's exactly what we saw in this game. Lufus exceptional. It's funny because... A few players have had their moments for Passos this season. If you think about Douglas Tank has had his moments, Bruno Costa has had his moments, Eustachio has had his moments, even Luis Carlos had his moment for a couple of games where they were kind of the star man. And I think now it's just Lufus Singh's moment to be the star man for Passos. I mean, Braga fans will be looking at him thinking they want him back for next season. Passos fans will be thinking they'll be desperate for him to stick around for longer than just his loan. But yeah, he's been absolutely their star man at the moment.
1: Like you mentioned at the top, Morians have been markedly improved recently. You know, they haven't lost that many times this season at all, really. I think uh, and even more in recent memory I did they got a good decent draw with Benfica. And then you think of it as well, like, you know, we've just touched on the Sporting and Porto, who in the, probably their last, both their last two games, you know, have eked out a win by a goal difference. And to see Passos just so easily dispatch of Morians 3-0, I, I mean, they perhaps took the foot off the gas in the second half, but, you know... It was just another another riveting performance from them.
0: Absolutely. And also when you compare Passos to a team like Vittoria Gimarais, who are in that same area that Passos are competing in, absolutely worlds apart at the moment. After this game week, there's currently nine points difference between Vittoria in sixth and Passos in fifth. And those two teams are going in completely different directions. So it just goes to show what an incredible uh, season Passos are having. In. And not only Passos, but Morinz, as you say, I think they're having a great season. I've done my best to big them up on this podcast I like Vasco Siabra the manager I thought there were high hopes for him at Bo Vista it didn't work out but he's taken possibly a quite unglamorous job at Morrens a side where people weren't expecting big things but they're having a good season they sit in 8th place they're only two points behind Santa Clara who've had a good season themselves in 7th and that's the kind of position that they could be aiming for you know a good season for them would be overtaking Santa Clara taking that 7th place for themselves and look you know even sixth place, depending on how bad Victoria's uh, form continues in the rest of the season. But a lot of positives this season for Moral They were well beaten in this game, but I don't think this game will define them. And for anyone who's not watched them much this season, keep an eye on them, because I think it's easy for those mid-table teams to go under the radar. But For me, they're one of the better ones. Well, before we wrap up this Premier Liga roundup, Barney, there's a couple of big games in the relegation battle that we need to touch on. The first, Gil Vicente. Uh, versus Nacional, A game that ended 2-0 to Giovicente. Not the most high-profile game on paper, tucked away on the Friday night, but it was a great match and exactly the type of result that Nacional wanted to avoid, sadly leading to the departure of their manager Luis Ferreira, who was replaced this week by Manuel Machado. We'll discuss the game in a second, but first, although it seemed slightly harsh to sack a manager who was responsible for getting them into the top flight in the first place, with teams in and around the relegation battle, sacking managers left, right and centre, and also seeing the benefits from that, you can kind of tell why they've gone for it at this point in the season.
1: Yeah, it was a real shame. I think they lost twice um, last season when they got promoted. So, you know, he'd done some amazing things. And what was he only 35 as well? I was really hopeful at the beginning of the season, but it has been tough. And although this has been a tough season financially for everyone, and you would have think, you know, a team coming up, they'd be in an even worse situation, they did have had some decent loan signings. They definitely improved the squad from last season. So he has had the resources there and it just hasn't clicked since the January transfer window's closed. So yeah, yeah stop, something needs
0: to happen. Um, but it is a shame for him. I, I did quite like the guy. So did I. He seemed like a pretty likeable cat. Let's talk about the game itself though. I thought actually they did reasonably well and I thought it was a shame that they lost in many ways because they dominated possession. And not only that, but I thought the players put in A good shift, you know. They were trying pretty hard. Vincent Till in particular, we both singled out. He put in the biggest shift I've seen from him this season. Uh, But they got done twice on the counter-attack. They looked prone to defensive errors. And in many ways, I think this performance was emblematic of the season they've had so far. It just didn't go right for them. And they lost the derby last week against Maritimo, And they lost this game against Gilbertsante. You would have thought when they looked at those two games against fellow relegation battlers, they would have been targeting at least two wins. And so to come out of both those games with nothing is pretty disastrous for their season. Yeah, definitely. And you
1: mentioned um Vincent Till there. I think him and Kenji Goris should have both scored in the first half. But you know, when the pressure is clearly on these players, they knew the, the you know the task at hand. And I remember Vincent Till had a couple of chances where you could just tell you overhit it when he could have mm. put a little less power, maybe got a bit more accuracy, but and I guess that could have come from this pressure of them desperately needing this a win from this game. But then yeah, I, I think Gilbert said it came out in the second half with a bit more purpose, didn't they? And I mean that ball from Lorenzi for Pedro Marcus for the first goal was point you know, Not, yeah. it, But it's the pace as well, Albert. It was just mm. it was just absolutely perfect. And another player that I think man of the match, Lucas Minero, um, he's been impressed with the midfield. Uh, he caught my eye last week as well. And he got the assist for my man Samuelino for the second, which um definitely I did enjoy up. that one. I knew oh, definitely, try. man. I, I, <laughs> I, I, on, on, I wanted to talk to Samuel Lino because I saw a tweet recently that said, he, you know, he scored twenty-seven percent of Gil percentage goals this season, mm-hmm. which is a you know, a significant percentage. But they've signed Pedro Marquez in the January transfer window, and he's a, he's an out-and-out striker, and he's he has been putting them away when he's he's been starting. And I just feel like you know, um, Samuel Lino, he's not he's one of those four players where he's not quite the right player to be that number nine, the focal point. But he's also not really a winger, you know what I mean? Like um, mm. place like I feel like Marcus Rashford fits bill, uh, even pre- Pedro Gonzalez. Where mm. just because of the ways obviously are playing with you know out out wingers in Fujimoto and Luricy, I'm I'm a bit guy because I can't see him getting himself back into the starting lineup in this one.
0: For anybody who's listened to the podcast for a little while, will have heard Barney talking about Samuel Lina before, and rightly so because he's a he's a talented young player, and he's. A young player playing outside of the big three. So we always like to try and highlight those type of players. I think he's had a good season. As you say, he scored a lot of goals, more goals than you would expect, seeing as he doesn't really start every game. I think he's had a good season, be happy with the work he's done. I think next season will be a big season for him. I'd be interested if he stays at Shiova Sensei to really see him try and cement his place in that team and try and start taking on more responsibility for goals and assists. And, you know, he's a young player, he's got time. But yeah, definitely one to keep an eye out on, I think. And the last game of the week, Barney, and probably the most remarkable scoreline of the week, Family Cal 4, Maritimo 0. Now, I was really, really interested to watch this game in advance of the match, but I really did not see this result coming. Of course, both teams changed their manager very recently, and both teams experienced fantastic turnaround in results and performances under those managers' first games in charge. Maritimo, of course, as we alluded to, won the Madeira derby last week against CD Nacional. And Familiacal got a really hard-earned draw against Braga last week. But Famalicão absolutely blew away Maritimo in this game. I did not see this coming at all. I thought Maritimo were much improved. I was expecting a lot of goals, but a very even game. And we just did not get it. It was funny, when we talked about Maritimo last week, uh, when go missed that penalty, I said, Rodrigo Pino is going to be stepping up to take the next one. What does he do? Steps up to take the next one and misses. <laughs> so, a really bad day at the office. I'm not sure what to make of it. I'm really intrigued to see Maritimo's next game to see wh- which of these two performances was the flash in the pan. I'm hoping it was this one against Family Cow. Yeah, and I think if um, even if Rodrigo Pino put that penalty away, I don't think the
1: game was going to end with a different result. I think Family Cow just a really confident performance, wasn't it? And I think. You saw that in some of the individual passages to play, Ivor Rodriguez for his first goal. You know, just so calm in the box, um, and he's been a good signing since he's coming from January. And then the striker Anderson Silva, he looks brilliant, and he's he's been at that club a while. I didn't realize, and he's only twenty-three years old. He took his two goals well, but that's been their problem. But they they haven't scored enough goals at all all season. And you know, they changed manager to Silva. He couldn't get them scoring, and now six goals in two games at Ivar Vieira. It's it's looking it's
0: looking good. I've got a great stat for you, Barney. In Ivo Vieira's two games in charge, Family Carol has scored 25% of their goals for the whole season. Bloody hell, that's 24 games, isn't it? That's Mm. That's not bad. Pretty unbelievable when you hear it like that.
1: I mean, you know, we both agreed they did excellent business in the winter transfer window, and it just didn't make sense why they weren't improving. But now the players they brought in are scoring goals, and, um, yeah,
0: it's, it's a good time, I think. I think they're going to just improve, improve, improve. Well, with 10 games to go, this relegation battle is anything but decided. There's going to be so many important games coming up. If you're keeping an eye on the league, we recommend you keep an eye on the bottom then because that's where all the excitement is this season. Of course, the teams go into the international break next weekend, so there's no Premier League next weekend. Uh, but we'll be back the following week, following the international break. Right, well, it's that part of the podcast where every week me and Barney have a chat about a topic that one of us brings to the table this week, my turn, uh, and I want to talk about transfers, Barney. And this conversation was brought on by the news this week that Tessatito Corona has a release clause in his contract, which reduces by 10 million euros for every season that he's not sold, meaning that his release clause in the summer will go down from 30 million euros to 20 million euros. And that made me think he must be one of the most coveted Liga Noche players available on the transfer market, and so I want to talk to you about which other players you think are going to be the most coveted Leganés players in the upcoming summer transfer window. So start with Tissitito Corona, Barney. Obviously, twenty million euros for a player like that is a fantastic fee. I'm sure there'll be plenty of clubs sniffing around. I wonder, I wonder what kind of teams will come in for him, and whether we'll be moving abroad. What do you think? Yeah, I think. The first thing to say is that I've never heard of that clause in a contract
1: before. I think that's a lovely bit of business from the agent because for the player, it puts you in a, a strong position. You know, if you are going to commit to a club, have that release clause reduced is great. And it makes sense in terms of his age. What is he, 28? So, you know, you could say that the peak of his career. I think the attractive thing about him is his versatility, isn't it? Because I know he's played as a right midfielder the whole of the season, but they have put him in at right back or right of a five at the back. He is brilliant. He is very consistent as well. And I think he, in the Champions League as well, he didn't look he didn't look out of place at all. For 20 mil, that is that is a good steal. I, in terms of clubs, I can see him at. I, off the top of my head, it's quite hard to say. I, I I don't know if Italy seems like the right place for him to go to, just in terms of fitting into that system and that versatility. But yeah, what about you? Did you have any clubs in mind that you could see him at?
0: Well, obviously, specific clubs, it's quite hard to, to pinpoint. But I think I can definitely see him at another Champions League level club I'm thinking of. You know, a team in Spain, maybe someone like a Sevilla, you know, a team that kind of plays in the Champions League, but doesn't necessarily compete right at the very top of the table. Anyway, it was just for me that 20 million release clause for a player like him. He's been one of the standout players in the league for a very long time. Similarly, Barney, another player we've been seeing linked with a very high profile move away, Nuno Mendes, uh, the young Portuguese left back playing for Sporting. Big week for him. He's about to go and play with the seniors for Portugal. And been ruined with a fifty million euro move to Manchester City. And if there's anything we know about Pep Guardiola, it's that he loves spending fifty mil on a fullback. Yeah. And I tell you what, I wonder if if that
1: deal did materialise, if um, you know, Pedro Perro could be used in those negotiations as sort of like, you know, make way. I don't know, that, that could be interesting. I mean, he's gonna be linked to absolutely everyone, isn't he? He's, he's brilliant for his age. Um for some reason I feel like left, decent left backs are hard to come by. And I I guess it's just because you don't see as many left foot players, but whether Almerin can convince him to stay another season, do, do some business in, in Europe, you know, because he's got his whole career ahead of him. Man. He's got another like 10, 12, 13, 14 years left in him. So, you know, he's, he's in no rush.
0: Yeah, well, if Manchester City do put fifty million on the table, I think it'll be hard for Sporting to turn down. Well, those were the only couple at the top end uh, of the transfer market that I was thinking of. I thought it'd be more interesting as well to think about which League and Nosh players might be on the move within the league. Uh, who are some of the players really adding value to their to their transfer fee the first one quite an obvious one a player that a lot of people have talked about Steven Eustachio and the reason I picked him is because he seems to have an incredibly low release clause I've seen people talk about a release clause of between three and a half to four and a half million euros and for a player of his quality uh, it seems like a, a fantastic deal especially when you consider that he plays in central midfield as a defensive midfielder a position that it's quite difficult to find standout players and I'm sure all of the big teams in Portugal we're sniffing around him I think he's been linked with Porto and Sporting quite heavily already
1: yeah and what's more interesting is that uh, Passos have just paid two million around two million for him anyway so they, they essentially just going to double their money which is um, a bit of a weird one I think yeah he's going to be on the move for sure and this is what's interesting about this league, as is that players that you sort of rate quite highly you see, seen move for relatively low fees both Toremi and Tony Martin, in spring tonight last season you know not as significant transfer fees as you might expect I think he's yeah he's uh, well <laughs> the whole
0: of that Passos team are, 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 are going
1: to be up for grabs are <laughs> the yeah, way they put this season
0: definitely well one to keep an eye on. I think for me the only question will be whether he moves to the right club the last thing you want is him moving to a big club and not getting the minutes you've seen some players moving to Porto and really not getting the minutes. I'm thinking about players like Carassa, the right-back, and Nanu, not really getting any minutes. So I hope he just goes to the right club.
1: Albert, just before we move on on him, and uh, I've literally just been thinking, you know, you mentioned a 4 million release calls, which is ridiculously low. The pass have had a great season, but their their efforts won't go that noticeable across Europe, mainly because, you know, if they don't get European plays, that no one's really going to have an idea about them. For 4 million... He could be an absolute steal for some other clubs in Europe's and bigger leagues, and it it just would be so interesting, wouldn't it? If I don't want to say clubs, you know, in the Premier League, I was like because I, I can't really think of something legitimate, but like, you know, even I don't know if you think the Championship or something like that, but it just seems it seems a shame that it, like he's mentioned Nana, you mentioned Kraska, uh, like if if a poor or a sporting do pick him up and don't play him, it just seems like
0: an absolute waste when he could be doing it uh, somewhere else. Well, Portugal is a great place for those type of clubs to be scouting when there are bargains such as Steven Yistaka to be had and if you consider that the budgets that some of these clubs in England have I mean it's not unheard of for a lot of championship clubs to be spending you know three and a half four five million euros on a player that's not unreasonable at all and the class of player that they could be getting from a relatively unknown team would be fantastic and it's actually Bonnie that does bring me on nicely to one of my next players in a similar way and that's Marcus Edwards now he's a very interesting one for me. I don't know why, but personally, I just have this sense that he's coming to the end of his cycle at Victoria. Obviously, he's not quite been in the best form this season as he was last season, but I feel like he's kind of outgrowing them slightly, exacerbated perhaps by their poor form this season. Very possible uh, that they won't qualify for the Europa League for the second season in a row. So for me, it does feel like the time that he could be moving on and it relates to what you were saying about Steven Nistakia and that price tag in because he obviously signed that new deal with a €50 million Euro release clause, but I'm sure that vittoria will be willing to negotiate um, a lower price than that, maybe even around half of that with the right club. So if you're looking at a player with a value of around 25 to €30 million, Euros, we've seen teams in the Premier League pay... It's definitely not unheard of for teams in the Premier League to pay that kind of money for a player. Even teams at the lower end of the Premier League or even those newly promoted Premier League teams who've got that Premier League budget and need somewhere to spend it, they could be looking at Marcus Edwards as the type of player where they can get someone like him in for 20 million, 20 to 30 million euros uh, with the possibility that he will then grow into a player worth double that or more. So for me, he is definitely an interesting option this summer. I don't know if I agree with this Albert, but
1: do you think there's any hint of him enjoying being a big fish in a small pond rather than take a chance in a club in the Premier League and maybe not start, you know, because
0: he's, he's young, but
1: yeah, I don't know if there's a hint of that. I don't, don't know.
0: Well, I think that's a good point. That's presumably the reason why he moved to Portugal in the first place. You know, he was on the books at Spurs and took that route abroad uh, to get that first team football. This is a really, really interesting point and something that I do want to talk about, Barney, because even as I was writing my notes on Marcus, I realised I was falling into a similar trap that a lot of people have done when they talk about Marcus. There's been stories about, you know, his kind of bad attitude and things like that and kind of suggestions that he left Spurs because uh, he wasn't ready to fight for his place. But the more you look into it, the more you realise that this is completely untrue. I mean, one thing I didn't know about Marcus before I started looking into them for this section was that he's eligible to play for the Cyprus national team. He's got half Cypriot nationality and I believe that he even speaks Greek. So this is a guy who's already bilingual. This is a player that's played abroad before. He played for Excelsior in Holland, a team at the foot end of the Dutch First Division where he was fighting a relegation battle and still managed to be one of the standout performers in that team. So I think it's easy to see Marcus as someone who wants to get back to England as soon as possible, who has never really committed to Portugal and has kind of seen it as a stepping stone. But I'm not sure that's the full picture. I don't think that's very fair. Although I think he will move on at some point and England would be a good move for him, you know, as a young English player who has, I assume, still ambitions to play for the England national team Haven't played at youth level. I'm sure he will have ambitions to move back to England. But yeah, I just did think it was interesting to say that this is, you know, a player who's given a lot to the experience of playing abroad and is not your typical uh, young English player, I think. And the last player I want to talk about, Barney, another British player in this league and a player that we talk about an awful lot, of course, that is Ryan Gould. And I bring him up because, well, there's actually a little bit of confusion about whether he will be a free agent in the summer or whether in the summer they will activate a one-year contract extension either way in the summer. He's going to be coming to the end of his deal. could be available for a very reduced fee from friends especially if they are, unfortunately, relegated. He has already this season been linked with a move to Braga. There's also been talk about a move to Sporting. It's well documented that Ryan is a player who's completely embraced his career in Portugal. He speaks the language fluently and he's committed to living in the country. So, I think Ryan will be an interesting one to keep an eye on because there's a very high possibility of him moving to another club in Portugal in the summer, and one of the better clubs in the league at that. Yeah, I mean he he's going to be one of the best value for money signings in this league if
1: if he it doesn't end up moving on free. I, I like the Braga move. I think that that would be nice. I think that makes sense. He would just deserve all the praise he gets for you know working his way back up to one of the big
0: teams in this league. I mean, let's just go through some of his stats because they're outrageous for a player playing in the relegation zone. He's got the most goals and assists for Forensic skis and he scored a third of all of Forensic's goals so far this season. Uh, he's created 50 chances alone in the of Nosh. So he's having a fantastic season and I think, I think a move to a bigger team in this country would be perfect for Ryan at this point. Well, that was just a quick touch on some of the players we think will be some of the hottest prospects on the transfer market in this summer's transfer window. That's about all we've got time for this week. Uh, we'll be back next week with a special episode during the international break, me and Barney will cook up a little special something to talk about during the international break. If you've enjoyed listening, why not leave us a review on Apple Podcasts? Those type of things are really helpful to us if you use Apple Podcasts as your podcast provider. If you want to get in contact with the show, you can do so by getting us on Twitter at LongballFootball or you can email us at longballfootball@gmail.com. at gmail.com. But for now, just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week. Yeah, see you next week.